My name is Natasha Artiaga, but y'all know me as Lily, I'm 22 years old. Uh, my friend Vivian brought me to church and brought me to know Jesus Christ. Uh, the first service in my life I've ever been to was January 30th, and the very last song we were singing, it was called Behold the Lamb, and I was just overwhelmed with emotion and love and just peacefulness. I broke down crying in the pews. And at that moment, I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And even though I've only been a Christian since January 30th, my life has been so much better, so much more fulfilled, and so much just more peaceful. And I just wanted to share that with y'all. Thank you. of faith, it is my privilege to baptize you, my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. This is Elsa Roy. <laughs> Elsa, have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Upon your profession of faith, it is my privilege to baptize you, my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life.
you are worthy of praise. There is none like you. Absolutely none like you, dear God. Thank you for what you have done for us. May Jesus be magnified here today. We thank you that we can celebrate the risen Savior, that Jesus is alive forevermore. And because of what you have done, we have eternal life with you when we turn to you and surrender to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I think after we sing like that, we're reminded that Jesus is the true. He is truly worthy. He is risen, and he is risen indeed. I hope you have one of these cards uh, close by. They'll be kind of like the sermon notes. You can uh, spread those out. And uh, if you don't already have one, you guys look like you've spread out pretty well. But they're at the end of the pews, and you can grab one. Uh, but they'll kind of go along. And, and I do recognize something quickly, uh, especially if you have kids here. I am the one thing that's standing between you and an egg hunt. I recognize that. And uh, so I've got the stop clock going, and we will try to move through this in an expeditious way. I know some of you are guests today. Uh, thanks for coming out on Easter to, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're a guest, you'll see something like this is the uh, uh, Glassons made uh, alluded to earlier. I couldn't think of you guys' name. You did such a great job. They did such a great job, and uh, you can fill out one of those and drop it off at the communication desk after the service. The rich tradition started by the Christian church many centuries ago, based upon what they heard from the disciples coming back from the road to Emmaus, was that he is risen, he is risen indeed, as testified in Luke chapter 24, verse 34. It was during the pandemic, a software engineer in Brooklyn created a word game for his girlfriend to overcome the boredom and the loneliness that they felt in isolation. Josh Wardle devised a little guessing game for just the two of them, and he called it Wordle, which is a play on words of his last name, Wardle, which rhymes with turtle. After a few months, they decided that they would share it with relatives on their family's WhatsApp group, and they all became obsessed with it, thinking others might enjoy playing as well, they released it to the general public last October. It became such a big hit that in January, the New York Times paid over a million dollars to purchase it, and now over three million people play it every single day. It's a once-a-day game. If you've never played it, it gives players six guesses to figure out one five-letter word. And with each guess, it will tell you if any of the letters you have guessed are, number one, correct, and are they in the correct place? You have six tries to get it right. Wardle said of his game, it's something that encourages you to spend three minutes a day, and that's it. It doesn't want any more of your time than that. Now, whether or not you have ever played Wordle, we all understand that it really doesn't carry any significant consequence. You may be kind of anal and apt up and you want to make sure you get it right every day. And if you do, I'll show you a website that tells you the correct word. <laughs> but there are certain situations in life that carry enormous consequences. And Easter reminds us of that. It was best-selling author and pastor Max Lucado who wrote, you can afford many wrong choices in life. You can choose the wrong career and survive the wrong city, and survive. The wrong house, and survive. But there's one choice that must be made correctly, and that is your eternal destiny. See, Easter reminds us of that pivotal decision and whether or not we've gotten it right or wrong. Because, as the card says, and as the screen shows, that literally changes everything. So we're going to use Wordle as a little prompt today to look at six critical themes surrounding Easter, and the first is risen. It's obvious that all of us are here. Why? 
Not because Jesus is still in the grave, but because he has risen from the dead. Each of the four Gospels declare the exact same thing. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And this morning, we're going to look at over 30 different passages of Scripture. We'll go through them quickly. We won't have time to read all of them. You won't have time to find them all. And so I would encourage you, if you would like, to maybe take a picture of the screens as they show the verses, and you can look at them even later, or you can write them down. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 through 6, that we see up on the wall, it was the angel who told the women who had come to the empty tomb that he understood that they were looking for Jesus who had been crucified, which was very important to know, but that he wasn't here, that he had risen just as he said he would, something that Jesus had repeatedly said throughout his entire earthly ministry. And then later that morning, Jesus himself would meet with those women and reveal to them that he was truly alive. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 6, it tells us about an angel who was visiting with the upset women, a different perspective on the story. And the angel was visiting with the upset women at the tomb and said, you don't need to be alarmed, because they were. And he said, you're looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. But he has left the tomb because he's alive. In Luke chapter 24, verses 5 through 6, the angels, plural, says they asked the women why they were looking for the living among the dead. I love that question. Why in the world are you looking for the living among the dead? And then he reminded them, Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do, to rise from the dead. I love the way that John uses multiple encounters about the resurrection in John chapter 20. He talks about, first of all, it is Peter, John, and Mary Sounds like some kind of singing group. They run to the tomb because Mary has explained that the tomb is empty. And Peter and John go and they find that, yes, it is indeed empty. And then Jesus visits Mary once again by the tomb. A little bit later, Jesus would speak with 10 of the disciples, revealing that he truly was alive. And then later on, he would, he would see Thomas. And all of these encounters reminded them that Jesus was alive and well, even though, even though he had been crucified three days earlier. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 5. He said, I, I passed on to you as young Christians what is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. So at one gathering, there was a crowd as large or larger than is in this room right now that saw Jesus all together in one moment that he had been risen from the dead. Most of them, Paul would say, they're, they're still alive. So you can verify the story. But some have already fallen asleep, meaning they have died. And then Paul would say, then he appeared to James and then to all of the apostles and last of all, he appeared to me also as if I had been born at the wrong time. You see, we aren't here today because Jesus was a, a great teacher. He was an incredible teacher. He taught like nobody before or after, but that's not what Easter is about. Easter is about the fact that Jesus Christ has been risen. It's a non-negotiable, the resurrection. Because if it didn't occur... If Jesus didn't conquer death, then as Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, we are to be the most pitied people of all. We are the biggest saps in all the world if we gather on a day like this to celebrate something that didn't happen. But Paul would go on throughout that chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 talking about the resurrection and saying, it's happened. So you don't have to be the most pitied of all. Today is Easter because Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. So the first word is risen, and we pick a little bit out of that, and we recognize we're here on Easter because Christ is risen. And the second word is cross. You can't have a resurrection without a death. So it's important to remember that not only did Jesus die, but why did he die? The verses right before that well-known statement in John 3.16 Jesus would say in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, that he would be lifted up like Moses lifted up the serpent 
that saved people from the plague of snakes. It was a picture of how he would die on a cross being crucified. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, Jesus bore our sins on the cross so that by his wounds we could be healed. You see, anytime you see someone on a cross, you know that something horrible has happened. Now, we don't see that today, right? In very rare, unusual situations, and maybe other countries, you might see a very rare occurrence. But in, in the days in which Jesus died, in the Roman world, there were days in which hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people would be crucified. And every time someone was nailed to a cross, you would be reminded that something horrible has happened. You see, the cross reflects the seriousness of our sin and the gift of God's provision by giving us redemption from them. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus' death on the cross is a portrait of God's great love for us. It says that God demonstrates, he reveals his love to us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That passage opens up saying that, that seldom anybody would die for someone else, but that God, in the midst of our sins, chose to die for us to demonstrate his great love for us. You know, like many people today, Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, he thought all of this was absolutely ridiculous. And that's why he spent so much time and energy trying to eradicate what was called the way, which is early Christianity. He was trying to eliminate that until he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. That's why he would later write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. He says, it was foolishness to me until I met him on the road to Damascus. And now I understand that to all of us who are being saved, it is the power of God to transform our lives. Without the cross, there is no resurrection. And without the cross, there is no salvation. There is no remedy for our sin. So we have risen, we have cross. Jesus rose from the cross, and why did he go to the cross? To administer God's grace to each one of us. Grace defines the very character of God, because God is all about grace. You may have heard the vast difference between grace and mercy. Mercy is getting what you deserve. That would be a speeding ticket when you were clearly in violation of the law, going far beyond the limit of the speed. We all like warnings, don't we? Grace, on the other hand, is getting what you don't deserve. That would be your insurance company giving you free auto insurance for the rest of your life because you are the only driver in all of the world who has never violated the law once. Not getting what you deserve, that's mercy. Grace, it's getting what we don't deserve. In Acts chapter 15, verse 11, the apostle Peter was talking to the church at the Jerusalem council, trying to explain how do we share with the Gentiles this grace that God has given. And he, and he made this statement. He says, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. And the apostle Paul would continually reiterate that very same statement that we're saved by the grace of God, that thing that we don't deserve. Romans chapter 3, verse 24, he would write, God's grace makes us right with God. It's God's grace giving us what we don't deserve that makes us right with God in Ephesians chapter 2. And we know about 2, 8, and 9, right? For by grace we've been saved. But you know, Paul would repeat that over and over and over through the passage of Ephesians 2, 2 through 9. Several times he said we're saved by grace because it's because it's the gift of God. It has absolutely nothing to do with our good works. So as we work our way down at these six very important themes about the resurrection, we recognize that Christ is risen, and that's why we're here. And he was risen from what? He was risen from death on the cross. He had been crucified to die for our sins. And why did he die on the cross? So that we could experience what we don't deserve, the very grace of of God, God's forgiveness. But we need to look at a hard word today. The word judge. 
We love grace. We love getting what we don't deserve. But if we don't invite God's grace to come into our lives through Christ, we will experience the judgment of God. You know, throughout any given year, it's not uncommon to get a jury summons. You dislike them as much as I do. And when you get one, you're invited to potentially determine if someone is guilty or innocent. Someone is getting their day in court, and you've been chosen to decide whether they are right or whether they are wrong. The Bible explains that every one of us will one day enter a courtroom, but not to be impaneled as a juror, but to stand in judgment in front of God Almighty. Here's how Paul would write about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It tells us that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the one who died for our sins, and give an account of our one and only life. For Jesus to say, this is what I did for you. Now you must give an account as to whether what you did is better than what I have done. In Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says that we're all died, destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Of course, the most vivid picture of judgment is found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, where it describes all of humanity standing before the great white throne of judgment, and Christ is seated on the throne. Our eternal verdict will be rendered by Jesus himself, the one who died on the cross, that will ask whether what you did was better than what he did on the cross. And our salvation will be determined as to whether or not we ask him to forgive us of our sins and to become our Lord and Savior. You know, after Jesus explained in John 3, 16, that whoever believes in him would not perish but experience eternal life, in the following verses, verses 17 and 18, God would say, he said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, very important verse. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Now go back to the courtroom. Judgment is simply a verdict that is being rendered about something that has already taken place. When you go into a court of law, someone is there because of something that has already occurred. See, Jesus died and he rose from the dead so that we could be made right with God and no longer be guilty of rebelling against God. But if we don't believe that, if we don't accept that, if we don't invite Christ to forgive us, then the Bible tells us that we stand condemned already. And I understand that there may be some here today that say, I don't really believe the Bible. And that is your prerogative. It's prerogative for all of us. But what is the authority of your life if it's not the Bible? Determine what the authority of your life is and then make decisions based upon that. But I believe that the Bible is God's word. And what it speaks is true. And it must be the authority of our lives. And that's why we are looking at all these verses. So we see that Christ is risen. He is risen from the cross. And he died on the cross to give us what we don't deserve. That is grace. But if we don't receive that grace, then we will experience him as judge. But if we do, we can be saved. You know, it's easy to believe that we aren't in any real danger that we really don't need any help, much less we don't need to be saved, that, that everything is fine. That's what W.C. Fields used to say. Someone would talk about his need to, to repent and turn to God. He said, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that God and I had any beef with one another. We might feel that way. I can think of an experience back when I was a sophomore in high school. I was playing football. For whatever reason, this particular day, it was a defense day, I was a quarterback, and so I went over to help out the linemen work on their, their blocking, which I was always uh, hopeful that they would block well. And um, I was holding one of these blocking dummies underneath this cage, this very awkward situation. The, the dummy is sliding on this, this two by 12, and I'm holding onto this dummy, all of 153 pounds, and this gigantic friend of mine hit that thing, and when he hit it, he drove me back, 
and my foot went underneath the dummy on the board and folded over like a sandwich. It didn't break, but I just as soon died. It hurt so bad. And as I was experiencing all of that pain in my foot, you can only imagine, for those of you who have played sports, what that coach told me. What did he tell me? Walk it off. <laughs> Just walk it off. And I tried to walk it off. And I stumbled and hobbled all the way into the trainer's office. He put tape all over my hairy ankles. And then he told me, son, you're going to need to walk it off. <laughs> well, finally, after about a week of walking around like a maimed man, I went to the doctor and it was all determined that I had torn ligaments and it would take me a year to get back into the starting lineup. You see, we think our sinfulness is something that we can just walk off. That it's not that serious. That's what the coach was telling me. What happened to you is really not that serious. Walk it off, you'll feel better in a few minutes. But that's not the case. The Bible tells us we can't walk off our sins. Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it tells us that because of our sins, we are enemies with God. Not just a little dissonance there. We are enemies with God, and we can only be reconciled to Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, 21, it explains that unless we receive the forgiveness afforded to us through Jesus Christ, we will be forever alienated from God. See, friends, Easter is a message of hope. It heralds the greatest gift of all, that Jesus has provided the cure for our terminal situation with sin. And you might be saying, well, that last part didn't sound so good. But here's the deal. We must truly understand the bad news before we can really comprehend the good news. Some of you have had your identity stolen. Imagine your bank telling you that your identity has been stolen and everything that you've ever saved for, every dollar that you have ever earned is gone. That'd be devastating news, right? But what if the bank came back and said, you know what, but because we like you, we're going to replace everything that has been taken from you in your identity theft, and we're going to give you a bonus just for your inconvenience. That'd be incredible news, right? Kind of. Here's the great news after the bad news. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we are told that God doesn't want anyone to die without him. He doesn't want anyone to be judged. And that's why he hopes that everyone will repent and turn to Christ. We think about it again in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Yes, we are enemies with God, but we can be reconciled with God and become his friends. And then John 1, 12 takes it even a step further, in which the apostle John would say, for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, you're not enemies, you're not only friends, you become children of God. So Christ is risen from the cross to give us grace so that we don't have to be judged, that we can be saved from our sins, and only Jesus can do that. As you see on the screen, I guess you see on the screen, there, there it is, getting things right with Jesus changes everything. It changes your now, and it changes your forever, and it makes both infinitely better. So who is Jesus? According to what Jesus said about himself, he is the only one who can make us right with God. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His followers were so convinced that he was right that they went back to Jerusalem. They boldly declared to the very men that crucified Jesus, and they would say in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under all of heaven which we can be saved. They believed Jesus and everything the Bible said about Jesus, that he is our only hope. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, I had to throw this into the message. It's not on the screen. But five different times this week, I was confronted with this passage and just different things that I was reading and looking about. I wasn't even looking for it. Five different times this verse came into my attention, so I put it in here. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that him, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? We are all ranked sinners. None of us measure up to the standard of God. But when we embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could have the righteousness of God. So we must all answer the same question that Jesus asked of his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. Who do you say I am? Our answer to that single question determines everything about us. In 1978, Michael Hart wrote a very controversial book that ranked the 100 most influential people in history. Now, Hart himself, as you can see, is a very controversial individual, but that wasn't what made this book noteworthy. It was where he ranked Jesus. Even though he released a revised edition 15 years later and made three very big changes in his book, based upon new research and the sea change of history, like stuff like the, the breakup of the Soviet Union. He still didn't adjust his original decision to give Jesus the bronze medal. Hart identified Muhammad as the one person in history who had the greatest impact on humanity. He ranked Isaac Newton as a person with the second greatest influence. Now, his rationale for Muhammad was that he reigned supreme, he had supreme success in the religious world as well as in secular culture. And Hart would say Jesus just had an impact in the religious world. His thoughts about Newton, as many have attested, was that he took vague and scattered thoughts about science, which he did, and he developed a uniform system that helps us to better understand science. You see, Hart's understanding of Jesus explains why he ranked him third. He never acknowledged his resurrection. To Hart, Jesus was just a compelling teacher. He, went even, he even went on to say that without the work and writings of Paul, who he ranked as fourth, Christianity wouldn't exist at all. Ironically, in his charted timeline, that places each of these 100 influential individuals in the place of time, everything is laid out on the continuum of time that is divided by, can you guess, B.C. and A.D. See, discussing the relevance of Jesus Christ without reference to his resurrection is more illogical than talking about the significance of George Washington and never discussing that he was the first U.S. president. Any understanding about Jesus that doesn't acknowledge his resurrection is incongruent. It's illogical. Study Jesus all you want from a secular standpoint. But if, if you come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, it discounts every single thing he said about him, himself. Jesus can't be a great teacher if he lied about who he is. Today in our Bible reading, and we at Westgate, we try to read through the Bible as much as we can. Some are reading through the Bible in a year, and today's reading, April 17th, which is Easter, Jesus is confronted, or I should say he is confronting the rich young ruler who asked the question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And before answering his question, Jesus says, first of all, why do you call me good? See, the idea was, it could be that you are really a great teacher, or it could be that you're God. Good meant that you're really close to being God, or you are God, and Jesus was saying, are you saying that I'm God, or are you saying that I'm just a compelling teacher like Michael Hart did? See, we almost wrestle with who Jesus is. So now we have seen these important themes, and good for you. You got the word right, Jesus at the bottom. And we look at all of these, risen and cross and grace and judge and saved in Jesus, I pray, I pray that for all of us, we will declare Jesus Christ as our risen Lord and Savior. 
March 27th, in the Dallas Morning News opinion page, Josh Selig titled his article with this statement, I'm an atheist, but between COVID and nuclear weapons, I'm ready to give God a try. Are you ready to give God a try? God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him. That's what we see all throughout scripture. But scripture also reminds us in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament that our sin prevents us from having a relationship. I hope that we saw that today. Our sin is so serious that we will never be able to walk it off and be right with God. But thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us right with God. All we have to do is humbly repent of our sins and surrender our life completely to Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, I pray that you would join me in this prayer. And if you're already a Christian, I pray that you would serve Christ as truly the one who is risen indeed. Let's pray together. God, as we celebrate what you have done for us, yes, what you have done for us, you didn't need to die for you, you died for us. But it was a temporary situation because you quickly came back to life revealing that you are the victor overall. God, if any of our friends with us today in this room or online have never received Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would recognize that that is a terminal situation they can never walk off. That they would fully surrender themselves to you by voicing a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, for those of us who already are following after you, give us pause this day to be reminded of all that you have done for us, the magnitude of what your death, burial, resurrection, and your later ascension, what they mean to us. Thank you for the gift of eternal life and the opportunity to celebrate it today because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And if you feel like you want to make a decision to follow after Christ or to better understand what it is to, to walk and follow Christ, I'll be standing over at the cross while we sing this next song. And you can also meet us back at the Connection uh, Center after the service. And I'm going to invite you now to just remain seated for the portion of this song because I want you to feel that pause, that anticipation of the resurrection, the uncertainty of the resurrection that the disciples felt. You know, we went through that sequence talking about, in two of the Gospels it says one angel and Luke talks about two angels. Where'd that other angel go? Is that a contradiction? I think that second angel, when Luke saw the picture... The second angel had walked over a few hundred yards to Calvary and he picked up that thorn of crowns that represented all that the world had to inflict upon Christ, that pictured defeat to everyone who looked upon him that day when he hung on the cross. That angel went over and said, we need to keep this. We're going to take that back to heaven because this crown of thorns, it is now the victor's crown. Now, you may start singing this song and you just can't sit any longer, and that's okay, you can stand up. But I want you to just feel it. Feel the tension. And then Warren at the right time is going to release us to stand and proclaim the victor's crown.
Ryan Underdown, uh, good to see you all. What a great service, right? Yeah. Unbelievable, unbelievable message we heard today. So I am the chair of the Youth Pastor Search Committee, providing an update with great news, all right? So as I we talked about last previous times, Stephen Henry was, uh, had visited a couple weeks ago, I believe. Um, 
we have extended to him a view to a call, and he will be joining us on May 1st along with his wife, Alex. So I would encourage everyone to be here May 1st, visit with Stephen, meet Alex if you did not get a chance to meet them a couple weeks ago, and participate in this view to a call. Um, we're very excited as the Youth Pastor Church Committee that he has come to, to be here, and we hope that you will be too. Thank you all. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate it, Ryan. And before we're dismissed, just one quick thing. Jana, our children's minister, wants you to know you do not have to rush immediately out to the egg hunt, okay? You have time to take some pictures back there at that photo booth over here in front of the cross if you want to. You don't have to immediately rush out there. You have plenty of time to go get your children from the nursery. It'll be fine. You don't have to rush. All right. Let's all stand together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love, and we thank you that we can celebrate the risen Savior. May you be glorified today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. He is risen. He is risen. God bless you.